Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, have you noticed that life hacks are all the rage these days? Have you heard of life hacks? You know, everyone's into life hacking. Uh, see all the younger generation nodding their heads. They're into their life hacks. Finding technology, skills, tools, things you can do to make life that more efficient and productive. Are you into life? Who's, who's a life hacker? Who loves to find the life? We've got a couple of life hackers here that love the life hacks. Um, there are lots of different life hacks. In fact, there's a whole website called lifehacks.org and they can give you some tips. I've found some of my favorite life hacks for you this morning. Let's take a look at the screens. This is if you uh, want to fill up a bucket that doesn't fit into the sink, right? That's pretty cool, isn't it? Feel free to um, get your phones out and take a photo if you like. I can see Nick. Nick's already like, that's genius. He's like, my sink is way too small. Here's another one. Paper clips to organize your cables. Who does that? All right, look at this. Don't say that you didn't come to church. You didn't learn something this morning. That's great. Here's one of my favorites. The next one. If you need an expensive, don't need an expensive cookbook holder. Just put a cone hanger there. You know, that's just amazing. Lifehacks.org, by the way. You're writing this stuff down. I've never seen so many notes. Here's my ultimate one. I like that. Take pictures of friends holding items you've lent them with your iPhone so you'll remember down the road. (laughs) (laughs) So there's life hacks for life. What I'm wondering this morning is, are there life hacks for the soul? Because I know you love a good life hack. And when it comes to Christianity... I like a good life hack. You know, I like simple Christianity. I don't like the religious Christianity. I like the kind of Christianity where it's like, Jesus, just tell it to me straight. Where, what, what is it that I have to do to get the best possible outcome from my faith? Are you up for that this morning? And so what, what's been on my mind is thinking as we head into this year, and already some of you are starting to feel exhausted. We're in February. Congratulations. You've burnt yourself out already. That's great. <laughs> I'm kind of thinking, if I could just front load the year for you and give you over the next three, three weeks my top three life hacks in Christianity that I see as a pastor. The thing that, look, if you listen to nothing else for the rest of the year from me, that if you got these three things, your life will be simpler and more efficient across the board. And this hack that I'm going to talk about this morning, I mean, I don't want to over-exaggerate, but it'll fix your grumpiness It'll fix your lack of self-confidence. It'll fix your striving. It'll fix your religiosity. If, if you get this hack, it'll fix all of that. And the hack is this. You ready for it? Accentuate your acceptance. Accentuate your acceptance. Because what we do outside of God all the time is that we are constantly trying to stitch up an acceptance of our own. We're constantly trying to build our own sense of acceptance. And you know this because our world is geared towards this. You know this because every time that you go to a party, you go there and, and first of all, you're terrified about the dress code because you're worried, is this an acceptable dress code? And when you get there, our world is geared towards asking you this one question. You go up to a stranger, and what is the first question that that stranger is going to ask you when you get to the party? What do you do? Oh, you've heard that before. And so this whole world that we live in is geared towards pushing us towards 
building our own sense of acceptance, acceptance before others, acceptance before ourselves and acceptance before God. Now, this is not a Christian thing. This is just a thing thing, right? I haven't even talked about the Bible yet. We know that this exists in our society. In fact, our anthropologist uh, Paul Hebert kind of talks about the way that basically deep down everyone is building different layers of identity like a sponge cake on themselves. You know, some of you, uh, you, know, you identify as South African. You're proud of that. You know, there's a whole bunch that sit together in this church that just love South Africa. Some of you identify as New Zealanders. Some of you identify as accountants and lawyers. And some of you identify as stay-at-home mums, right? That we're all building these layers of identity. And Hebert says that at any point in time, you kind of push into and use whatever identity you feel at the time makes you most acceptable. That kind of making sense? So we're constantly building, building, building our layer cake of acceptance. But what he goes on to say is that, you know, like you, as you layer this, as you layer on this, you can layer on Christianity on top of that. And the thing is, if you layer your Christianity and your faith in God on top of this layer cake of all of these other identities, that's fine. But the minute that anything challenges the absolute foundation, you know, the crunchy biscuit in the cake, any, the minute that anything threatens what is your true foundation of your identity, as much as you might say you're a Christian and you're loved by God, if for you, you know, it's, it, your fundamental identity is, is the good accountant and you get fired, or someone pushes in an agenda that might get you fired, then out comes the anger and the rage and the agenda and the snappiness. You ever seen this out in the real world? It's not a Christian thing, it's a thing thing, which is great because you don't have to be a Christian to, to receive this life hack this morning too, by the way, that's a good news. If you're just checking out Christianity, you can hack your life along with the rest of us. <laughs> but have you ever noticed why we layer like this? Have you ever wondered why we layer like this? And the biblical answer to that is that what we're fundamentally doing is that we are building our own, and I'll use a big biblical word here, we're building our own righteousness. I kind of feel like when I say that, I've kind of, I've kind of got to assume a nice posture, a holy posture, our righteousness, right? Because that's kind of how we think of that word, don't we? When we hear the word righteousness, we think hoity-toity and holy. And some of you are thinking, yep, that's exactly what I think you Christian types are about. But righteousness doesn't mean hoity-toity. Righteousness merely means acceptance. Acceptance. A basis or a standard by which you feel acceptable. My young daughter's got, she's got a righteousness issue at the moment, doesn't she, hun? She's, poor thing, she's settling back into school. And uh, every, every day of school at the moment, uh, she's asking Kristen to go and text all the other mums to see what all the other girls are going to wear to school that day. Right? Anyone had to... What's, you know, what's she, what's she on about? She's on about Righteousness. Of course, as a pastor dad, that's exactly, I sit her down and I say, that Adele, you've got an issue with your righteousness here. You know, you've got a righteousness issue, right? You've got an issue with a right, what, mum, what must I do in order to feel acceptable at school? And aren't you so glad that we grow out of that as adults? <laughs> What's the wedding invitation say? Yeah, okay, what, what, what the heck does... What the heck is cocktail casual supposed to mean? Oh, do I wear shoes on a beach or not on a beach? What's supposed to go? 
Uh, what, what, what he, I wonder, what, what, are they inter- what are they interviewing for? You know, what, how, how that, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> you know, the, the worst thing that society ever did for giving people a righteousness complex, and I pray that you never experience this at school, but you know when you'd go play basketball between two uh, different teams at school and they would line all the kids up and pick two captains by themselves and then you would periodically pick someone else from the team? Ever remember that at school? That's, that's the problem. Don't blame the church. You know, blame the school grounds of society for giving people a righteousness com- complex. We always had the one bloke, Ian. He was the, he was the gumbiest dude. Like, like, you know, most grotesque skills was not his strong point, you know. And so every time that we're doing basketball, poor Ian was the last one left out. You know, that, we feel right when we hear these stories. That was you, Judith. Yeah. And we feel that, don't we? There's kind of this yearning within us that hates it whether or not the girls dress differently from us or we're the last one picked. You feel it, I suggest you feel it whether you're a Christian or not now, that innate sense of, I just want to feel accepted. And the way we solve it, we go build our layer cakes of acceptability and identity in front of everyone else. And in fact, this is so ingrained in our society at the moment. Can you believe that they, they build entire two-hour television shows around righteousness? Did you know that? That looks like this. Have you ever seen these shows, right? That's just one big righteousness machine, right? Because everyone gets up there and they sing their thing and they do their thing that's going to make them acceptable. And all they're looking from Simon Cowell is, it's a yes from me. You know, like it's, they're looking for that yes, They're looking for that, yes, they're selling righteousness. They didn't know that, but they're selling righteousness. (laughs) Here's the thing, and I want you to get this, whether you're a Christian or not. Whenever you start building your own sense of acceptance in the world, then all of life becomes an audition. Auditioning in front of employers, potential dates and marriage partners, friends, all of life's an audition. Each situation that we go into, you're looking for, hoping that you don't get four crosses against your name, right? And so I guess, what if we had a case study then? Someone, someone who'd built a great identity, had done all the things that you were supposed to achieve in life and then still came up wanting. Wouldn't that be great if we had a case study like that? Well, Moira, here's uh, one I've prepared for you earlier, right? It's like a cooking show, isn't it? Fancy that. We're going to look at the scriptures, right? Because there was a guy who, who had done all the things, had achieved all the things that one would want to achieve in his time. And his name was Paul, and he was a doctor of theology, and he was from all of the right birthplace, and he'd grown up in the right cultural settings, and he'd planted churches everywhere, so he's really successful, and so he knew his theology, he was a leader, he'd built organizations, he'd, he'd invented scalability, all of you corporate types, you know, Paul was scalable, these little things called church plants, like he scaled his business tenfold, awesome, he's entrepreneurial, tent maker, he's, he was doing all of this on the fly, like he's the ultimate theological, theologian entrepreneur, and this is what he says, about his achievements. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. 
I consider them garbage or junk that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And then he says this is the dynamic as to, as to why. Not having a, there's the word, righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so here's the life hack. If you're there with your notes, you're wondering, what's the hack of Christianity? What is the life hack of Christianity? The life hack of Christianity is that you receive your acceptance rather than build your acceptance. That's the hack. Receive it. Don't build it. And more, more practically, what Paul's saying is that you are accepted by God unconditionally through faith, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And so that's the life hack. This is why this is so efficient. Did you know, maybe this will be news to you this morning, that in Christianity, you don't have to do anything. I'll say that again because some of you don't get it. Like, seriously, I don't get it. You don't get it. In Christianity, you don't have to do anything. Dallas Willard says, Christianity is the only religion in the world where you have to work out what you're going to do when you come to realize that you need not do anything at all. I know some of you think that that's just too good to be true. That's why it's good news. You don't have to do anything. Why well, we call it the good news? And so what? Look, here's the thing. If, if that's the case and you receive your acceptance by faith alone and without having to do anything, then suddenly, like, if you've got unconditional acceptance, then you can stop auditioning. If that becomes the fundamental layer, it's, it, you, you, you don't have to audition anymore, you know, Seriously, it's like the difference between dating and marriage, right? When you get married, right, you don't have to audition anymore. You just let yourself go, right? You get to leave your socks on the lounge room floor. They still love you, right? Seriously, it's it's not really that way, right? Not my household. People think of Christianity that way. See, when they hear the good news of the gospel, they hear it that way, and they kind of think it's like that. Oh, well, if I believe in Jesus, then I can just let myself go. And we know that in a a true relationship of unconditional acceptance, when you receive and consider what that unconditional love is, it doesn't remove the motivation for obedience. It radically shifts the reason why. It doesn't remove... I'm motivated, I'm I'm motivated by love, I'm I'm motivated by the desires and the wishes to love the loves of the one that I love, does that make sense? So people think, oh Christianity, if you tell people that you don't have to do anything at all, they're just going to let themselves go, they'll do whatever they want, and there are so many different examples throughout the scriptures, remember the line, what then now, shall we keep on sinning? Paul goes through and explains the theological arguments around that, right? And the answer is, yeah, you could. And that's not going to change your destiny with God when you become a Christian. (laughs) Freudian slip. Who is your true God? (laughs) My wife's name is Kristen, by the way, if you're a guest with us this morning. Doesn't change your destination if you're a Christian. 
So how do you know that you're doing it? How do you know if you're building or receiving? And I'm going to give you a couple of key, you know, chlorine strips against your life. Just some quick, quick questions that, that will show you pretty quickly if you are not getting this and you are building rather than accepting. First one, are you full of compassion or correction? Haven't we seen Christians like this? You know, they, they become a Christian. They think it's like they're now their role in life to tell everyone else what to do. All right, when you become a true Christian in the sense of this unconditional acceptance, then you don't become less compassionate. You become more compassionate because you say, well, hang on, if I did nothing to receive this, then who am I to go around and start telling everyone else what to do? Here's, here's another one. Is there humility or superiority? Again, if I've received this and it is Jesus that is the one that has done all the work for my acceptance before God, then if I had nothing to do with receiving this, then why should I suddenly feel like I'm any better than anyone next to me? Humility or superiority? Is there joy or duty? That's the telltale as to whether you've radically shifted this motivation. If you come into Christianity and you feel it's your duty to obey the Lord and it's your duty to defend the truth, then you haven't received the unconditional acceptance. And in fact, maybe you're building your sense of identity on being a good and a right Christian. I'm one of those Christians, right? I'm hamming this up, by the way. It's called hyperbole. Jesus used it, right? But you, we've seen these types in church, haven't we? Right? That the fundamental, their layer cake is not on the unconditional acceptance of God, but on their sense of superiority over everyone else in the church, and dare we say it, over everyone else in the world. Oh, they're not like us, you know, we're Christians. Now, these things can sneak up on you. You know, you've got to watch, I always say, you've got to watch your heart like a magpie. You know, magpies, you know, in magpie season... You've got to say, if, if you're not from Australia, if you've just moved here, I've met someone that's just you know, moved here recently, um, magpies are a dangerous Australian bird, that if you do not stare them in the eyes, when you walk past them during breeding season, they swoop and peck you in the head. Anyone had that experience? Terrifying experience? Yeah, right? What are you got to do with a magpie? You've got to constantly watch it in the eyes the whole time. Walk, right? <laughs> and you have to do that with your heart or this stuff will sneak up on you. You have to constantly watch your heart like a magpie. It'll peck you right? It will come back and it will sting you with methods by which you continue to build your identity. And it happens for all of us. It happens for pastors. Um, I had a chat with a colleague about 18 months ago and sadly he's not in ministry anymore. And I kind of sensed that was going to be the case when we were having lunch together and we were in the middle of lockdowns and COVID and church looked crazy and Half his church had gone, and he didn't know where people were at, and absolutely grief-stricken. And there was a telltale line in the conversation that we had, and he said, Sam, it's taken my whole life to build this. Now, test class, like, where have we gone wrong? Because we pastors will tell you, no, this is the work of the Lord. You know, this is the Holy Spirit empowering his church. To it. it's, not, it's not me, right? The humility... It's not me. It's not me. But there was a thing within his heart in which, at that point, COVID had revealed his layer cake and it had challenged his fundamental identity. And the identity was that, you know, if people come to my church, then I'm a good pastor. That somehow there's this linear relationship between what he puts into the church and what happens out there. And it crushed him. Magpie got him. Maggie. <laughs> right? That's why 
we need to continue to watch our hearts and do what Paul does. If you're wondering, well, how do we make sure this bed's in? I'll leave this just one point with you today. It's a one-point sermon. Uh, accentuate your acceptance. In fact, I'll qualify it. Accentuate your unconditional acceptance. And that's what Paul does. He accentuates it. He, in fact, repents because the word repent doesn't mean to like turn your life around 180 degrees. It's the Greek word metanoiete, which means to think about your thinking, right? We think repentance is, oh, I've had such a bad life, I need to go become a good Christian, you know, turn away. No, it means to think about your life strategy in light of what you've heard this morning. If you've heard that Christianity is the only religion where you don't have to do anything at all, think about that. What are you going to do? Paul does think about that. He says in the verses preceding what we read, if others think they've got reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. You know, there's pride in your work and then there's arrogance, right? But what ever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Now, what's Paul doing there? You know what that is? That's his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> Did that for you, Haynes. Yeah. <laughs> right? He's listing his achievements. He's listing his soul resume. He's saying, I'm culturally pure. I'm ethnically pure. I was born into the right race, the right family. I'm morally pure in terms of all of that. And he takes that and he analyzes that and he says, that is not worth it. I consider all of that rubbish because of the surpassing greatness of Christ. That word surpassing greatness is actually hyper echo. It means super thing. What he's saying is that when Jesus came into my life, but more specifically, this news, this life hack that you're hearing this morning, that when it comes to Christianity, you need not do anything at all, but believe in him. He said, when I got that, that was kind of like I was seeing stars and then the sun came up. The stars didn't go away. The achievement didn't go away. I'm not saying achievement, bad thing. But he said, the, the sun came up. Jesus is the basis of my unconditional acceptance became everything. And so, I now consider it loss because I found this super thing. So, can I suggest to you this morning, which is the better hack? Building your own sense of acceptance or relying on God's? I'll just throw it out there, okay? I'll just let you think about it this week. I'll let you consider that the way that Paul considered that. You know, can I suggest to you that, the, that, that if you don't know whether or not you are building a righteousness of our own, then you could do this. You know, if something comes up, if there's something in your heart, if something makes you angry, if you get frustrated, if you're pushing back, if you're feeling depressed or sad, stop for a moment and think the way that Paul did and say, what could it be about this thing or situation that may be linked to my sense of acceptance before others, before myself, before God. To which some of you say, I get this, I get this. <laughs> which if you're anything like me, I'd say, well, I'm not sure you do. <laughs> Each and every week, I'm having to watch my heart like a magpie. Constantly having to look at the ways in which, having to get my own way, my own agenda, the frustrations in my life the things that I'm proud of, 
all these things that I begin listing like Paul, I have to come back and I say, you will not be my foundation. And we sing about this stuff. You forgot already. But we sang there and it was beautiful and it was 6 8, so we were like swinging and it was a really spiritual moment, right? Because 6 8 is like the spiritual time signature, right, Mr. McNally? You know, he's a professional musician. You know, 6 8 is just the magical, right? And we were singing those words I will build my life upon your love, unconditional love. It is a firm foundation. And so the degree to which we take that into the centre of our hearts is the degree to which we get rid of the anxiety and the grumpiness and the agenda-seeking and all the rest of it. It's the degree to which we move into joy. It's the degree to which we move into freedom. It's the degree to which we move into that space and joy to go, if I don't have to do anything today, what will I do for you, Lord? Because Christianity is pretty simple. It's why it's easy to hack life with it. You're either building your own sense of acceptance or you're relying on God's. I'll leave you to think about what one you're doing this morning. Let's pray. Father, help us with this. I know in my own life that there are so many different areas that are so easy to lean upon. I pray for people this morning first and foremost, that aren't feeling acceptable before themselves, let alone other people. That there are people in this space this morning that the striving and the yearning, the jostling, the busyness, and the tiredness is a function of, I haven't received how beautiful and wonderful and acceptable they are over them that beautiful phrase from C.S. Lewis where he says there, is, there are no mere mortals that if you were to see your true self in God for what it is you would be at risk of falling down and worshipping it so I pray that over people this morning that have been grappling with their sense of inadequacy Father God may they receive it <laughs> pray for those of us too that have got it together there may be repentance this morning, Father God. Not to turn your life around, tight repentance, but in this moment as we move to this space of ministry, that there would be not only clarity, but courage to at least declare before you, God, hey, Lord, this, this thing I've been resting on way too heavy as the basis of who I am. I pray for those this morning too, Lord, that may be listening into this, whether they're online or they're in the auditorium here and they're checking out Christianity and they're hearing this and they go, this, this just sounds too good to be true. It is. It is too good, but it is true. And I pray that in this moment, Lord, that in their heart of hearts, that they may understand that believing in you is as simple as transferring the trust and that needle in their heart to rely upon you as their sense of identity and working that out from this point onwards. I say to you, God loves you for who you are, where you are right now. Not what you've done, not where you're going, who you are right now. And his invitation is to place 
your trust in him, which is the Christianese of just saying, hey, child, rest. My gift to you to know that the Lord of the universe finds you beautiful and acceptable in his eyes. Lord, we commit this time to you. We dare to believe that you're working amongst us in this moment. Speak to us, we pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.